Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's a Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. Hey Mitch, how's it going? How are you? How's your week been? It's going well. I feel like the week is getting significantly more busy uh, back at uni, uh, which is which is fun in some ways, but it also get to see you much, much less, which is no good. Oh, yeah. Look, it's been a bit rough um, on my end because everybody's back at uni and I, a sad, no longer uni student person, I'm a little bit neglected. <laughs> Poor thing. Poor thing. But it's all right. It's all right. I've been busy just trying to get my life in order, just trying to sort shit out. I'm just, like, trying to get on top of all the things that I have been procrastinating for, like, literal years. So, I feel like I've been, like, productive. It's been productive, which is neither good nor bad, but maybe it's more good than bad, if that makes sense. Well, how have you been other than productive? I've been all right. It's just, I don't know, life has been feeling like a lot. Just a lot. Everything is just a lot. The news is a lot. The Facebook ban is a lot. It's just been a pretty, like, heated newsreel and then, like, I'm trying to get on top of all these things and it's just, I don't know. I'm, like, I'm okay, but things are a lot. Anyway, I'm going to get into some follow-up for today. Uh, Something we've gotten a lot of messages to talk about on the podcast uh, is the Facebook news ban. We discussed it a little bit, or I discussed it a little bit in a live last week, but we have so much to say about it that we're going to do a little follow-up segment for you on the Facebook news ban. So for those of you who aren't fully on top of the situation... The government has proposed a media bargaining code that would require tech giants like Facebook and Google to pay media companies in exchange for their content. Uh, So basically, like Facebook would have to pay every news media company or even like just anyone who's kind of uploading like articles and stuff onto Facebook. Like they would need to pay those people to have the articles on Facebook. Facebook and Google are not happy about this. Initially, both refused to comply, but then Google... Uh, has started making deals with media companies and kind of sorting out the situation. I know they've already made a $13 million deal with Nine and they are currently in talks with the ABC. Facebook, on the other hand, has completely refused to comply and instead removed all Australian media off the platform and banned Aussies from sharing news articles. And nobody outside of Australia can also share like Australian news articles either. So Australia is basically completely wiped off Facebook when it comes to news. It claims it did this as like, a way to avoid being fined for the code because according to the code if the companies continue to have Australian media that they weren't paying for they could be fined either like 10% of their revenue or like a certain amount if it's less than that quite a bit of money and while Facebook took down a bunch of news articles they also took down a lot of other very important information sites they took down like health department websites they took down 1-800-RESPECT which is a domestic violence hotline uh, they took down like the weather, like literally everything, everything, even like all the satire sites were down. Um, and this is at a time where like COVID vaccines had just started to get rolled out and we're getting like bushfire warnings in Queensland and flood warnings. And even all those sites have been taken down. It was pretty much an information blackout 
for a couple of days. I know now most of those sites have been restored and Facebook has apologized for taking sites down that weren't new sites. Uh, They claim it was just an error because they took everything down so quickly. Other people are pretty skeptical and reckon that Facebook did it to scare us, to show us how much we rely on them, which, I mean, maybe, who knows. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild at the moment. It's definitely very strange. And we have some thoughts. Like while I, look, I guess my stance is I definitely agree that media companies and journalists should be paid for their labor. It is a huge issue, especially at the moment when there are no journalism jobs at the moment. Like me, as somebody who has a journalism degree and has worked in the media, it is rough out there. There is no money. Like so many journalists have been laid off just in the last year or so. I mean, I don't even have a full-time job in journalism for this reason. It's important to pay us. We are not getting money and we make like almost all the content that you consume online. However... While I believe that that must be done, I also just think the government like had no idea how to deal with the situation. I think it's kind of wild that they actually thought that Facebook would comply with the new media bargaining code. It just felt a bit naive to me and a little bit boomer-like, as if they don't quite understand how the internet works, because there is no way a company as big as Facebook, with the monopoly over like the world that Facebook has, would say yes to this media bargaining code, the precedent that it would set, the power that it would give other countries who would then also follow Australia's lead and again, charge Facebook for having their media online would like bankrupt Facebook. If like Australia did it and then like America did it and then the UK did it, they would be fucked like from their perspective. And so I just think there was no way they were ever going to do that. And for them, it would honestly in the long term be more profitable to just cut Australia out and set an example out of us, like sacrifice us. And then it would send a message to other countries of like, if you try and do this for us, we are going to give you a media blackout as well. So it's kind of messed up. It is definitely an issue of democracy uh, because it kind of just shows the power and lack of accountability that Facebook has as this like huge corporation and just like how much it can really limit the way we experience the world. Just going back on like Google and Facebook together, because again, this was supposed to include Google too, but I do think there is a fundamental difference in like the way Facebook and Google even exist. Uh, Because for one thing, Facebook is a social media site and Google is not. It's a search engine. Although, I mean, obviously it has things like Gmail and I don't know if Google Hangouts still exists, but that was a thing for a small amount. I don't think so. (laughs) I used Google Hangouts for like five minutes in high school. Um, But anyway, they do function very differently. um, And that is part of the reason Facebook has absolutely refused to comply with the new media bargaining code, uh, because their statement that they released essentially was claiming that they shouldn't have to pay for content that they don't ask for. They were essentially claiming that they don't like need this content to be on their site. They don't ask news publishers to put content on their site. People do it of their own free will to distribute it out, to gain exposure, to benefit from the connections you can make on Facebook. Therefore, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Like people give out their content and they get all the clicks they need. They get, they hit the KPIs, they get like exposure and in return, Facebook has content on their site. So their kind of claim, and I say claim because I think it's pretty bullshitty. Like maybe there is some truth to it, but it's so much more nuanced and complicated than that. Um, But yeah, their claim essentially is that the government like fundamentally misunderstands their relationship with people as a social media site. Whereas on Google, it makes a bit more sense because they are a search engine. They literally need this information to even be relevant. Whereas Facebook claims, again, claims because they did not source this, but they claims that news only makes up 4% of the news feed, which is ironic because it's literally called a news feed. 
Like it's it's called a news feed. Like we're we're on there to find out about the world. It's kind of I don't know where they pulled out this four percent from. They also have not sourced how they found this number. It seems it's just materialized. And also the way the legislation has come to define what news is and is is incredibly broad. Yeah, I think what Facebook said was that they it, well they claim that the government pretty much implied that anything that is of an interest to the Australian public is like news and media which is like kind of everything, which is kind of also why I think Facebook, while they claim it was an accident, they took down all those like health sites and stuff. I think it probably wasn't because they were just trying to cover their ass because that stuff is of interest to the Australian media and deploys important information to Australian people um, like the media does. So it is, yeah, the idea of media and news is very vague because anybody, especially now in like citizen journalism world where literally anybody can upload something on the internet and it can go viral and like share a news story we're all kind of media and so it's kind of complicated because facebook really doesn't know where to draw the line and i guess i don't really know where you would draw the line either and so that's kind of why they're just like fuck it we're just going to ban everything like we're going to ban anything that could potentially get us fined but yeah as i was saying it's a huge issue for democracy not just because of the lack of accountability on facebook's end as a corporation but also because like a huge part of how Facebook is used as a social media network is that we don't just share articles, we talk about the articles. I never just share an article. I'm probably sharing an article with commentary on the article, be it like about how maybe I think that the reporting is biased, especially if it's from a tabloid, lol. But like, it's about a discussion that we're having on the news that is necessary to like share information. And we need that ability to discuss the news because that's also how we like hold the news accountable because journalism in Australia is pretty fucking poor. All the time there is irresponsible journalism. A really good example just from recently is when there were Black Lives Matter protests in Australia and a lot of publications, including the ABC, who was supposed to be, you know, relatively trusted, um, were putting up really misleading headlines that would say things like five new COVID cases from Black Lives Matter protests. And then two paragraphs into the article, it would say the people who like currently have coronavirus were at the Black Lives Matter protest, but were not infectious then and didn't have coronavirus then. So they received or they like caught coronavirus in a completely different context. But because they happened to be at the protest several weeks earlier, the media spun that into a story to demonize Black Lives Matter protests. And you know what? If it wasn't for Facebook and the ability for all of us to share those articles and be like, what the fuck is this? This is actually insincere journalism. That stuff would just go on shared and those companies wouldn't be accountable for that information. So Facebook is like genuinely, I think, useful in a democratic sense. And it is really scary to lose that. There are definitely some edgy leftists that are all like, ha ha, now we've taken away the power from tabloids and now we can do our own research and this is the way it should always be. But I think that's completely lacking in nuance because we can't have conversations on a news article that it doesn't function that way because it's not a social media site. And on top of that, just like the accessibility that Facebook affords the everyday person, because not everybody is media literate. Not everybody has like a degree in journalism like me who like can really sit there and like understand when news is good and like well written and sourced correctly and when it's actually just kind of full of shit, right? Not everybody has that ability and Facebook is really important for that because if you follow pages or people even that you trust to be able to break those things down, it can be quite useful. Like, yes, there is a lot of misinformation on Facebook in the right-wing, conservative, anti-vax kind of corners of the world. But, like, there are also plenty of really useful leftist corners of Facebook that are also necessary. Like, we all occupy Facebook, and removing it from right-wing people also removes it from us. And I don't think it's worth it. Like, I think it's dangerous for everybody. (laughs) I, I don't know. I'm kind of... I'm a bit shocked by a lot of the joy people are feeling at losing 
Facebook because they think that it'll fuck over all the anti-vax Karens. And I'm like, do you think those women care about news? <laughs> do you think those women care about sourcing? Do you think like banning news is actually going to stop these people from spreading misinformation when they have never cared about factual journalism in their lives? Like the only people really negatively affected by this are people like us. Those people who like don't really care about facts can just like further share misinformation and now we don't even have the capacity, the capabilities to actually like correct them with sources. It's dangerous. And then on top of that, like a lot of people, especially people that are rural or people like somebody who messaged me on Instagram was a single mother who said that she gets all her news in like the half an hour she has in the morning to be on Facebook because she's busy and she doesn't have the time to sit there trolling like different articles and comparing them and stuff like that. Like she relies on her algorithmic bubble of like left-wing people that she trusts to share the correct news for her, which again, we can have a whole different conversation about who you can and can't trust, but I think it's useful and relevant to have Facebook, um, especially when the government's been defunding journalism for years, years and years and years. And Facebook has become more and more important for a lot of people to get their voices out there when there no longer is actual journalism in the area, especially in rural areas where there is like absolutely no fucking local newsroom or local journalism again because the liberal party mostly but the entire australian government has been defunding journalism and defunding the arts and then after all that isn't (laughs) stressful enough i think probably my biggest issue with the media bargaining code because i'm not against it as a concept i think it's noble in its idea but maybe not so much in its practicality because inevitably the underlying result of Facebook having to pay large media companies for having their articles out there is all that money is just going to go into Murdoch's empire because he owns like a lot of the Australian media scene. And then Murdoch will in turn keep lobbying the Liberal Party with this new income and keep them in power. And then they will keep perpetuating capitalism and poverty and the marginalization of like people and then, you know, continue defunding the arts. And it's just this toxic cycle, this toxic like positive feedback loop that just is a fucking mess. And I also, like, while Facebook is obviously, like, fucked up (laughs) for doing this to us, I also think the government does need to take some blame on the situation because if they hadn't defunded the news for decades and made us reliant on things like Facebook and social media, maybe it wouldn't be such a huge loss for Facebook to abandon us. I know Mitch's ideas on this whole thing are a little bit more conflicted than mine. I feel like I have quite a strong opinion on what I think on the Facebook news issue, but Mitch has kind of got more media, academia kind of ideas about the situation. So, Mitch, what do you think? Well, like you, as someone who studies or studied media, I think we're really interested in the way that the media landscape has been changing in the past one, two decades. Uh, And specifically, we are seeing the emergence of, I guess, what is being called platform capitalism, which is specifically interested in the way that capitalist institutions are less functioning as producers of things, but more as facilitator of things. And so specifically, we can look at probably the biggest platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Uber, Airbnb, and we'll get into that in a sec. And the way that all these platforms have come to define the relationships we have in everyday life uh, and also pervade every aspect of everyday life and are essentially inescapable. So what that essentially means is that these companies are becoming increasingly powerful. And I mean, this is clear in the way that it's through these platforms, these privatized capitalist platforms that we even get our news and it essentially becomes impractical or seemingly impossible to get it through any other source. Uh, So we can talk about how powerful these media institutions have become in recent years. 
But there's also a strange paradox in their power. And that's specifically because despite these Facebook, Twitter, etc. being incredibly powerful, the way they get their value is through the content that their users produce. So there's this strange sort of tension between Facebook is this incredibly powerful institution, but the reason it's valuable and the reason that people go to it is not because of the stuff that Facebook makes, but the stuff that other users make or other companies make. And what's interesting is that for creating this content, essentially doing labor for Facebook, no one really gets any uh, compensation for that. Or if they do, it's through purely immaterial means, like these ideas of social capital or uh, immaterial rewards. There's this quote I love to say, and I say at least a few times a month, and Salih has heard me say it many times, and it's a quote by Tom Goodwin that essentially says, Uber is the world's largest taxi company, but it owns no vehicles. Facebook, the world's most popular media owner, creates no content. And Airbnb, the world's largest accommodation provider, owns no real estate. So what we're seeing is that these new age capitalist institutions are playing role only a facilitator and are exploiting the people that essentially gives value to their businesses. And this relates to when I first heard of this legislation, specifically to Google, I, I was definitely on board with the idea that Google definitely gains more from hosting these new services than the new services get. And I was definitely thinking about it from the perspective of the struggling journalist who is being exploited by these large, multi-transnational institutions. Me. Exactly. And I I guess I was thinking of you in a way because I was thinking of that these are the people suffering by the institutions that are pretty much thriving off of your free labor. Yeah, like just thinking about all the thousands upon thousands of like really informative infographics that you see on Instagram and how much you learn from them and how much Instagram benefits from all of us being on there, sharing them, making them, all the stuff we're using Canva for. Like Instagram is so fucking rich. I'm not rich. <laughs> none of none of anybody else that just like randomly makes educative infographics on there is really like making so much money out of it. But we are the reason that Instagram is what it is. You're on there for other people. You're on there for the accounts that you follow, not because you give a fuck. Does anyone actually follow Instagram, like Instagram's own Instagram account? (laughs) I don't. I don't give a fuck. That's not why I'm there. Exactly. And Facebook makes billions of dollars, yet it makes it all off of the free labor of its users. So thinking about it from that perspective, I was definitely, I guess, on board with the idea of this legislation. I knew that it would be completely impractical to actually sort of apply, but I liked the idea of it. But then- it became increasingly clear that this legislation isn't to, you know, help this idea that I had in my head of the struggling journalist who's being exploited. But of course, it's to benefit the large media institution that is News Corp, the uh, the company owned by Rupert Murdoch. And if you don't know who he is, especially if maybe you're an international listener, he is the owner, the media mogul uh, of News Corp, which is a transnational media company, which in Australia publishes almost 200 magazines and newspapers, mostly concentrated in Queensland, which is very interesting. And of course, this is incredibly powerful as all these publications can coordinate their messages and campaigns to overrepresent the interests of a single company, of a single man, essentially, uh, and can shut down any detractors. Yeah, and like a great example of that is just the Liberal Party and the lobbying that Murdoch does with the Liberal Party that I mentioned earlier. Like Murdoch's like press is notorious for its right wing reactionary kind of tabloid bullshit that it spreads around that regularly defiles anybody that it doesn't want in Parliament. It like very much will take down opponents and get people elected that will make sure its best interests as like this 
ginormous, scarily rich corporation, right? And that is how it maintains its power. It's pretty gross. So, of course, uh, Murdoch and News Corp is threatened by Facebook and these new media institutions because they are legacy media. They are traditional media and, of, and they want to you know, maintain their bottom line in this changing media landscape. And interestingly, I did a course last year called Media Power, which in its first week used Murdoch as a case study for, of the political economy of the media in Australia. And he essentially claims that the government finds it important to, I guess, protect News Corp because it is too big to fail. Uh, what that means is a company is deemed too big to fail when it is so large and financially interconnected with national or global economies that its collapse or downfall would be detrimental or catastrophic to a nation's economy. So that essentially means that News Corp is able to protect its power and its position in the media landscape simply because of its size. So yeah, I guess that was sort of my journey of being sympathetic to this legislation and then finding that maybe that perspective was a bit naive. But I think compared to you, I think you were straight away annoyed with the the legislation and its impact on journalism because from your perspective, it is closing doors for a lot of... uh, or closing the opportunities for a lot of journalists across Australia. Yeah, well, as somebody like me who, like, I don't make a lot of content for a particular media company, like, I post through Instagram and we make the podcast. We're, like, an independent, I guess you could call us a little media company, not really, but, like, you know, we're an independent source of news and media for a few people. And how we get our content out is through, like, Facebook and Instagram. Like, I'm just lucky that I'm not a huge user of Facebook, um, but I am in Facebook groups, so I don't really post too much on my timeline or anything like that. But I'm part of a lot of, you know, political Facebook groups that discuss a lot of things that are of interest to me, which I am very sad about losing because that's where I got a lot of my discourse from. And if Instagram, as far as we know, Instagram is exempt from this whole thing. Like Instagram is not part of the media bargaining code. But if they were, like we'd be kind of fucked because I don't think Instagram would pay me to put my content on Instagram. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like as a small independent journalist, Facebook, Google, whoever may pay large companies like Nine and ABC and The Guardian, but they're not going to pay people like me. So where do we go? And also just something I wanted to mention, it's a slight tangent, but it's relevant, is when you start talking about being too big to fail. Does that sound familiar to you? Because that just reminds me of like fossil fuels and like literally every other company that is completely unsustainable in the modern landscape is kind of either destroying democracy or the world, whichever one you choose. But because capitalism has invested so much resources to it, it's just going to run us to the ground because it's too big to fail. Like this is capitalism. This is the inadequacy of capitalism. This is what happens when companies are like unregulated like this and become this fucking big and then they're no longer sustainable because nothing is under capitalism and now we're all fucked because of that. Exactly. Anyway, I'm going to introduce today's topic now. This week we're going to be talking about the sexual assault at the Parliament House and how the events and conversations it set off show us that rape culture is truly alive and kicking in Australia. We're going to be talking about the Liberal Party, misogyny in politics, consent talks and private school boys and all the moral panics that distract us from real issues at hand. But before we get into the topic, I just want to issue a content warning. We will be talking about sexual assault and rape culture. So if that is a difficult topic for you to listen to, if that could be potentially triggering or harmful to you in any way, please feel free to opt out of the conversation. Please stay safe and take care of yourself. So let's get into it. The news cycle has been intense uh the last few weeks, not just because of the Facebook ban that we just mentioned, but also before that, the current sexual assault scandal and I say scandal 
in quotation marks because I think that's a pretty fucked up way of referring to a rape um, that's happening in the Liberal Party at the moment. So basically a woman called Brittany Higgins, who was a Liberal Party staffer, um, was sexually assaulted in the actual parliament in Defence Minister Linda Reynolds' office by another Liberal Party staffer in March 2019. Essentially what happened is she was organising work drinks with everyone. She was fairly new into the role that she had just picked up as, I think, media advisor. Um, And it was just like a social thing to meet other staffers. This man who sexually assaulted her was essentially buying everybody drinks, buying her drinks. She got very, very drunk, was falling over, um, clearly not in a capacity to consent. And this man offered to get her home, like grab a taxi for her to go home. He then actually took her to the parliament house, used his security card to get her in, took her into Linda Reynolds' office where he proceeded to rape her. She actually like was unconscious and then woke up mid-rape. Um, obviously very traumatic and horrific thing to happen to her. She was 24 at the time. Uh, and then what happened was afterwards she kind of tried to talk about it with people but was really afraid of the consequences it would have on her job. And she says that she was essentially made to feel by higher-end staff in the Liberal Party that it was either, like, go to the police um, or choose your career. Like, you would not be able to maintain a career in the Liberal Party if you bring this, quote-unquote, scandal um, upon to the party, which is obviously a really horrific thing to hear, especially as, like, a person as young as she was and then obviously being a rape victim as well. Uh, and now, years later, two years later, she's come out with her story and it has thrown Australian politics into chaos. A lot of the top-end politicians in the Liberal Party are just claiming to like not have known of this situation, which is not what she says. And now there's a lot of weird kind of stories coming out about like people denying that they knew, but then like text message screenshots showing that they did know. And Scott Morrison also claimed to be of ignorance of the whole situation, but other people are claiming that there's no way he didn't know when all his staff is new, and it's it's a confusing mess. He also it's just there's a whole other PR like <laughs> shitstorm around Scott Morrison because he actually said in a speech for those of you who follow me you would already know my thoughts on this that he initially was having trouble understanding. Britney's situation but then Jenny his wife was like oh but think of our daughters and how would you feel if it was your daughter and now he can find some kind of empathy for her obviously not direct quote that's me paraphrasing but that caused an entire new shitstorm and a whole nother conversation around rape culture because people were like how the fuck are you not able to sympathize with the rape victim like do you need to be related to a woman in order to actually like be able to see her humanity and dignity and think she is worth like your time. (laughs) So there was really like scathing uh, comments around Scott Morrison and his complete inability to actually have empathy for people who are struggling, which by the way is not new information because during the really horrible bushfires a year ago, he actually paid almost $200,000 for empathy training in order to be able to empathize with poor people whose, you know, cities had burned down in the fires. So this is our prime minister. (laughs) He also actually I think called Britney confused at some stage as well and then she released a statement calling out the Liberal Party for victim blaming her and particularly Scott Morrison for like the damaging rhetoric of victim blaming that was kind of coming about the situation and just gaslighting and gaslighting her confused yeah it's just it's fucked up like it's horrible and now since then there are three more women so I think it's four in total 
um, that have now come forward with allegations against the same man who raped, or allegedly, I should say, allegedly raped Brittany Higgins. And for those of you who are wondering why we're saying allegedly, because I've had a few DMs as well, confused about why we don't know who this man is, why we don't know his name, but we know the names of his victims, why every article keeps saying allegedly raped. Um, it's not because we don't believe Brittany Higgins. There seems to be a lot of misunderstanding around like the way media works. I think it's probably a really good time to break it down quickly now because it's very relevant to sexual assault survivors. So... In Australian media, it is pretty fucking muzzled when it comes to situations like this because of defamation law. We have really tough defamation laws in Australia. And essentially, you cannot accuse somebody of a crime that they have not been charged with in court uh, unless you want to be sued for defamation. And there is like historic precedence of this happening where large companies like the Daily Mail and even News Corp, I think at some point, have gotten sued a lot of fucking money for calling somebody a rapist or whatever when they have not actually been tried in court and charged as a rapist. So unless somebody is legally considered a rapist under law because they were charged for that crime, you can't call them a rapist. You have to say alleged rapist. It is a way that media companies protect themselves from being sued. It's not because they don't believe victims or because they want to gaslight victims, even though I know it sounds that way. Like my first experience with that was when I was writing an article for women um, about uh, assault that happened. Again, I had to say alleged assaults that happened against a Muslim woman in Parramatta where like a man, there's like footage of him coming up to her and like baiting the shit out of her and she's pregnant and it's awful. It's like, it's horrific. And he like yelled slurs at her and stuff. There were a lot of claims, including from the woman who was attacked, that it was a hate crime because of slurs and things like that. But like we in the media were literally not allowed to call it a hate crime. And we weren't even allowed to say she was assaulted. We had to say she was allegedly assaulted, despite the fact that we literally have footage of it in the article that we're writing. We have to say alleged assault um, because otherwise we're going to get sued. Like that's just the way the law works in Australia against media companies. It makes it really hard for us to hold anybody accountable for things like sexual assault or any assault. Um, because the moment we actually call them like a rapist or like we call them, you know, a like somebody who's like hate crimed somebody like you, you you can't say that shit with a woman who was attacked allegedly in Parramatta if I had just seen the footage would have called it a hate crime like it looks like a hate crime it did definitely look like a hate crime but we weren't allowed to and I had to rewrite my article several times before it was published because I kept referring to it as like a hate crime racially motivated blah 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 and they were like sorry we agree with you but the lawyers are saying we cannot publish that or else we will get sued despite there being visual footage, footage of a racial hate crime. Yeah. <laughs> Alleged racial hate crime. Allegedly. But yeah, like this is the problem. This is why it's so hard to hold anybody accountable. And like the fact that this man has allegedly raped or sexually assaulted four women and he is just like living his life. We could have sat next to him on the train and just not known that he was the guy the news was talking about because like his identity and reputation is protected more in Australian law than the victim's right to justice. Um, I know people are out there going to be like, oh, but, you know, if the accusations are wrong, then that man's life could be ruined. And it's like, yeah, but these four women's lives have already been ruined. Like, and he still could get away with this. Now, Brittany Higgins is pursuing legal action. She is having an investigation uh, with the police and the other women that have also come forward, I think, have also spoken to police and put down statements and stuff. So we're going to see where it goes. If he's charged... Um, if he's like arrested and charged for rape, then we can actually identify him and call him a rapist. 
But until then, we can't. And it's fucked. Like, it is incredibly unethical. But unfortunately, that's the way the law exists under capitalism, where people's profit and people's monetary worth is more important than potential justice. Also, can we just mention the irony of this happening in Parliament and also the fact that apparently Parliament is a good location to (laughs) rape people? Is that not fucked up? Like, the fact that he wanted to sexually assault this woman... And, you know, I think our ideas of where we think a man will take us, especially like as a woman, when they want to assault us is like in dark alleyways or he locks us in a car in an empty parking lot. Like, you know, the images that us women have of scary situations where we think we could be raped. This man, with an intention to, allegedly an intention to rape that woman, took her to the parliament house. That was his location for his, like, alleged crime. It seemed, yeah, apparently it's the ideal location. It's actually, it's actually appalling. Um, But yeah, no, it's definitely like ironic because it just tells us a lot about the culture um, of the Parliament House and of the Liberal Party as well, which is not new, actually. Um, There was a Four Corners report that came out in November last year uh, about the Canberra bubble. And it essentially investigated misogyny and like sexual harassment in the workplace and parliament, which is, I think, very incredible timing. Last November and only two months later, Brittany Higgins um, like story came out, but it really delves deep into Christian Porter's background. He's the attorney general um, into his background as like an actual misogynist. It's quite detailed. Like they interview people that knew him in uni. They find old columns that he wrote for the uni newspaper. Uh, And it's just fucking incredible that this man has such a high place in society considering he has been openly a horrible misogynist for his whole life. I will not repeat some of the things that he has said about women, but it is absolutely disgusting. Feel free to check out the Four Corners report if you want to. But something that really stood out to me is that everybody knew. Everybody knew what he was like. This man was like literally in his late 20s and early 30s when he was still saying disgusting misogynistic things about women. And like he taught like law, like criminal law for a while in university and his students actually complained about his gratuitous interest in violent sexual crimes. <laughs> like there are claims from his students that he took way too much joy in like teaching about these crimes and he would always choose like the most heinous crimes against women and like, he would relish in the story. It's a bit fucked up. He obviously denies all these claims. Like he denies all this stuff and he's like, you know, I said those things when I was young. He was 30 when he was still doing this shit, by the way. And he's like, you know, I said that back then, but I would never say that now. Which, again, nobody really buys because Malcolm Turnbull, when he was the Prime Minister not that long ago, publicly reprimanded Chris Porter for the way he was behaving, actually called him out for misogynistic behaviour. This is Malcolm Turnbull, who is not the face of feminism. (laughs) You know, this is not a man that I particularly trust the politics of. And even he was out here just being like, you can't behave like this. Because Christian Porter was, like, apparently getting drunk publicly and, like, sexually harassing, like, the interns and the young female staffers, like, up until very recently. Which is why the Four Corners report came out in the first place. So we know that the Parliament House is not a good place for women to exist in, which I personally don't find very surprising. Something else that I want to mention about the Chris Porter thing before I move on is that while Malcolm Turnbull was president, he literally issued a bonk ban. (laughs) Do you want to know what the bonk ban was? He had to ban sex because it was literally more realistic to ban sex than to expect men to not rape women and to not sexually assault women in parliament. 
What the fuck does that tell us about our leadership in this country? These men literally do not understand what consensual sex is and they are the leaders of our nation. Like, if you cannot trust your politicians in the parliament who make your laws to not rape women, then what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, there's a very amusing clip from November last year where during a presser, a journalist asked uh, Anne Rushton, uh, the female senior minister, what it was like to be a woman in parliament. And then before she could even say three words, Scott Morrison comes to uh, interject. We'll just play a clip of it now. Miss Rustin, can I ask you, as, as a woman in, in the government, uh, your reflections on, on the culture inside, has it got better, worse or no change since the, the bonk ban era? Well, Phil, the only thing that I can... How this ban is referred to... I think is quite dismissive of the seriousness of the issue, Phil. Um, and I would ask media to stop referring to it in that way. God, it's so funny watching Scott Morrison panic and quickly interrupting her because he's terrified of what she will potentially say about the parliament because it's not fun being a woman in parliament. She does go on to be like, oh yeah, no, it's great. Scott Morrison is super great. But you just fucking know. You just know that it's like a PR game, especially because the ABC is doing a bunch of reports right now about being a woman in parliament where they are interviewing so many staffers both past and present about how they feel and all these women once they're anonymous are just like yeah it's fucked like it is horrible um the woman who what the fourth woman who's come out against uh britney higgins alleged rapist said that when he sexually assaulted her she because he like touched her thigh under a table which is just all kinds of sleazy and creepy But she said that in the moment, she actually didn't even think that much of it because she was so used to sexual harassment. At that point, like in the job, it was just part of her role. It was just part of her job in the Liberal Party to be sexually harassed, is what she said. But now that Brittany Higgins came out, it really emboldened her to come out in support. And it's just like, yeah, this is is literally just what it's like for women. And then when they have the opportunity to speak up about it, often they're silenced or expected to be silent uh, in the name of maintaining their position in society. And relevant to that, something I wanted to bring up, is Linda Reynolds herself. It's her, it was her office that Brittany Higgins was allegedly raped in. And there are accusations of Linda Reynolds helping cover up the rape. She's been called out for how she handled the situation. She, like, cried in Parliament talking about how she just, you know, she didn't really understand, she didn't really know. Something that she did that has received widespread critique, which she apparently now regrets, is that after she found out about Brittany Higgins situation she called Brittany into her office the same office that Brittany was raped in allegedly and had that conversation right there like can you just imagine how awfully triggering it would have been for her to like sit there in the spot that she had previously been raped in and then have to like talk about it with somebody that like she doesn't feel supported by because she claims that Linda Reynolds made her kind of feel unsupportive and she had to choose between a career or bringing a scandal upon the staff so it's just it's fucked up. People are really mad at Linda Reynolds. And by the way, Linda Reynolds has already been under fire for the way she handled the Brereton war crimes investigation. And if you don't know what that is, it is investigation into the way the Australian military acted um, overseas in Afghanistan and the war crimes that they enacted upon people over there. So she's like, this woman is like the defense minister. Like she is involved every day in violence against women that aren't in Australia that are in Afghanistan. So already, I mean, not really the feminist icon that we would imagine her to be. And I think the situation of Linda Reynolds potentially covering up Brittany Higgins' rape is like very relevant and to girlboss culture. In fact, a critique of girlboss culture because there are reports coming out now that people want her to resign. Like a lot of people are really angry at Linda Reynolds and want her to resign from her job because of the way she failed women in this situation. 
And she is pretty much saying that she's not going anywhere. And her supporters are saying, well, other men who sexually harassed slash assaulted women haven't resigned. Like all the other politicians are creepy and rapey. Um, they haven't resigned. Why should Linda Reynolds have to resign? Because she's not the one who assaulted anyone. And I just think like the fucking mental gymnastics to make these comments. Like, yes, the whole situation is fucked. And you seem to think that that is like a defense rather than like a really indictful thing to tell us about the Liberal Party. There are other people that are like, there aren't enough women in parliament and you're holding her to a higher standard than we hold the white men. And it's like, oh my God, like this is not... Linda Reynolds maintaining her job is not the feminist move you think it is. She is actively perpetuating oppression onto her female staff by ignoring rape allegations, potentially covering up rape allegations and not providing the support necessary for women. And you think it's a good thing that she's in leadership as a woman? Like you think it's a good thing that she represents quote unquote feminism, white feminism, obviously, because not like she's a defense minister. (laughs) She literally perpetuates white supremacy onto like civilians in other countries. Who gives a fuck about her and feminism and her relationship with feminism? It's just, oh, this girl bus culture and this idea that like replacing men in power with women in power is the answer is so wrong because these women will just continue to go on oppressing other women and people in general in order to maintain their power, especially when they're a woman and their power is tenuous. It's uncommon. It's hard to get. So when you are a woman like Linda Reynolds and you end up coming into that power through guaranteed exploitation of others, first of all, because there's no way you can tee up to the white men around you unless you're just as bad as them. But anyway, like she's finally got a hold of this power as defense minister. You think she's going to give it up for the rights of Brittany Higgins? You think she was going to give that up to protect another woman? Of course not. She's not a feminist ally. She's not a feminist icon. I cannot believe the fucking cognitive dissonance of people that are defending her. Because it's like, you're right. We don't fire other men who also rape or sexually assault or sexually harass or whatever women. We should do that too. They should all be fired. I feel like people are going in the wrong direction by being like, oh, well, they haven't been fired. So no one should be fired. This, it's the opposite. We should fucking get rid of them all. Like that is the solution. But anyway, this is how I think we're going to move into like the second half of our podcast topic here today there's this real idea of quote unquote a serial rapist on the loose that is what people are saying i've seen journalists and politicians especially a lot of female politicians they're just like wow how do we have a serial rapist on the loose in the parliament like you know this is like so unsafe and dangerous and i think actually that comment is very disingenuous because it's a way to induce panic about an individual and deflect from the fact that this is actually very normalized Like, I guarantee you a lot of men are having sex with women that is not consensual, that is rape, and have no fucking idea because, like, society's ideas of consent are just fucked. We don't have very good ideas of consent, not just in Australia, but globally. And it is not, like, a singular, scary, serial rapist on the loose. This is, like, an endemic issue. This is, like, so many people are suffering from this issue. He's not actually that different to a lot of men. And I don't like this whole idea of turning him to this scary monster in the closet because this is reality this is not inconsistent with the way society exists he is literally just another creepy rapey guy and many guys are like that and many women are victims of this i think like politicians are just trying to treat him as an outlier to make it seem like this is not normal that this is actually not anything to do with the liberal party or this is not anything to do with their politics somehow a monster got in 
undetected and it's and it's wild that this happened it's so inconceivable that this happened and they don't know how this happened when we do know how this happened this happened because of rape culture this happened because of like the glorification of rape in our current society and you really don't have to look that far to find examples of how something like this can happen in the parliament like there let's just let's just talk about private school boys for a second okay Let's talk about the fact that a lot of the politicians that exist in our current society went to like very wealthy private schools and I imagine a lot of boys' private schools as well. Um, and then let's talk about private schools, especially boys' kind of Catholic private schools and the toxic, misogynistic rape culture that exists within them. Just a recent example is the St. Kevin's uh, situation that happened in Melbourne a year ago where a bunch of students from St. Kevin's, which is a Catholic boys' school, uh, were on a public tram, public tram, chanting like really disgusting misogynistic rapey chants about how much they want to rape women um and they thought it was hilarious and the boldness that they would need to feel the entitlement to society and to women the audacity you know the lack of accountability to to be able to say something like that on public on a tramp in your school uniform with your school as you're being transported to like a sporting event and think it's funny I think it's okay and that there aren't consequences. That is rape culture. These things just continuously go unchecked. That was in 2019. In 2016, UNSW Baxter College, uh, there was a video from the college that came out of the students there singing the exact same chant, which I'm not going to repeat, but you can Google it. It's disgusting. And the president of UNSW Baxter College was in the video also chanting. And then he came out with an apology after it happened and was all like, oh, you know, I don't know why I did it. Like, it was just to hear the moment kind of thing. Obviously, it was abhorrent. Like, I don't support this kind of behavior. And it's like, but you literally do. Like, you actually did it. You can't just say now, oh, like, you know, it just happened. Because it didn't just happen. None of this just happens. Like, this is an actual issue every day because of rape culture in Australia. Even just another issue that I think, oh, it still blows my mind. This is from a year ago. I'm sure many of you heard about it. I wrote an article about it. It was Rapture Nightclub in Perth. God, this is a fucked up issue where, like, a girl who went to Rapture Nightclub uh, was concerned that her drink had been spiked because she was feeling uh, the symptoms that happened when your drinks are spiked. And her friends also experienced the same symptoms at the club. So after leaving the club, the next day, she messaged Rapture and she was on Facebook and she was just like, hey, you know, I just want to like let you guys know, I think somebody is spiking drinks at your club. Um, my friends and I think that we're, our drinks may have been spiked. You know, it's pretty scary. Maybe like you guys should have some tighter security or could consider X, Y, Z, you know, things to do in order to make this a place that is safer for women. And the owner of Rapture Nightclub essentially responded with a long paragraph, but the key point of it was, he said, why do you think you're worth the use of rape drugs? Like who would waste rape drugs on you? <laughs> it was just fucking horrific the way that he blamed her for the situation gaslit her and essentially told her that she wasn't pretty enough to be raped that she was like not worth being raped as if being raped is something women should aspire to like it was fucked up and this guy like owns a club that gets business like this is a man that is just going off existing in his life and after stalking his social media when i was writing about him there are pictures of him in blackface there are pictures of him sharing all kinds of other like rapey things it was just completely fucked and he literally would not stand down like even when the media got involved and he was getting so much hate and so much backlash from women he didn't receive any consequences and in fact many people were commenting similar things of if you don't want to get raped don't drink don't get drunk and it's this situation with 
uh, rapture, I think, is really relevant right now because the same commentary is happening around Brittany Higgins. It's really horrible. I've been seeing Facebook comment posts by, like, everybody, including other women, saying things like, the moment she was drunk, she, like, what did she think was going to happen? Like, she got into a car drunk with a guy and then entered a room with him. What did she think was going to happen? She should have known better. This is her own fault. Like, by hanging out with this guy when she was drunk, she was consenting, which is obviously fucked up and wrong and disgusting. But this is rape culture in Australia. This is, like, literally how a lot of people think. And we don't really do much to change the situation. What did the guy from Rapture experience? He got a bit of hate. He got some bad Google reviews, which, by the way, were taken down by Google. Um, And then what? Did anything happen to him? What about the St. Kevin's boys? They were suspended for a little while. Did anything else happen to them? What about the UNSW Baxter College kids? There was, during that time, during the UNSW scandal, a woman's representative was interviewed by the media and she essentially was like, this is not a random incident that happened. Even after it made the news, now they just have a new policy where everybody has to give up their phones if they want to go drinking so that these things don't get documented and don't make it to the media. It's still ongoing. Like, rape culture still exists. And we know it still exists because we keep talking about it. Like, we have been talking about rape for, like, three weeks now. We have been talking about consent for, like, three weeks now. We talked about it last week with Bridgerton. We talked about it the week before with Promising Young Women. And it's, like, an ongoing conversation because nothing is actually changing. Not really. Not in, like, a way that matters. I think individuals like me, like you, we have pretty strong ideas on what consent is. But, like, the reason I have these ideas of consent is because of my very specific educational background. And I want to bring that up because now there's this viral petition that's come out, uh, which I think is really great. That's got, It's calling for the need for earlier and better sexual consent education to be taught in Australian schools. Uh, the online petition was created by a girl called Sh- Chanel Contos, and she's a former student of Sydney's Kimbala Girls School. The petition like went live on February 18, and since then, literally over 2,000 stories, testimonies, I should say, of sexual assault have emerged from young girls, schoolgoers, who are like telling stories about how they have been sexually assaulted because of the toxic culture existing mostly in all boys schools but also just in high schools in general and the lack of teaching of consent that's come up with this one of the stories which like actually broke my heart was a girl saying we talk about being forced to give head at a party the same way we talk about breakfast and I was just like fuck that breaks my heart because it's true and I know it's true and it's very relevant because even when I think back to like my teachings of consent that I received in high school we had a consent talk in year 10 which I think is probably the average age that people do consent talks at school if your school even does one I realized in my live yesterday that a lot of your schools didn't have consent talks which blows my mind I went to a very tiny all-girls school that was pretty feminist in a lot of capacities definitely shaped a lot of my views on like feminism and women um and we had a consent talk in year 10 where they you know like taught us what sexual assault was what rape is One of the key things we learned was that any form of forced penetration or non-consensual penetration is rape, that rape doesn't have to be violent. Like if you're drunk and somebody tries to coerce you into sex, like that's rape. If you don't want to say no, but you feel like you have to say yes, that's still rape. Like we got a pretty pretty intense discussion, which while very informative was not super sensitively done. You know, there weren't really support services for us if we felt triggered by the conversation. And it was really heartbreaking because my, I mean, my grade was tiny. There were like 70 people in my grade and we were the biggest cohort in my school. And I remember like during our consent talk, so many girls left the room sobbing hysterically because it was in that moment 
that they realized they had actually been sexually assaulted and they just didn't know it was sexual assault because they didn't really know what was and wasn't rape because there's obviously an idea of rape that is sold to us through movies where it's like violent brutalized a woman is crying and begging as she's pinned down kind of rape which is in reality not the way that most rape happens although it is definitely a part of sexual assault and it's just it's pretty shocking that like that was my experience because I thought which is pretty good a lot of you didn't even have that Mitch did you have a consent talk at school I feel like your opinion here will be relevant as like a white boy (laughs) tell us what your consent talk was like if you had one yeah, I, I did have one. And what I remember of it was it was during this sort of this camp that my school does at the end of year 10 every year where we do a bunch of like team building exercises and we get a bunch of talks by motivational speaker types. The first talk was about some investment, like personal finances stuff, which was all a bit silly. But then the next talk was done by uh, this really scary guy who came in and essentially what he was doing he was talking about his childhood, how when he was 13, he'd get drunk all the time and he'd like take the keys from like his friend's his dad's car and, and drove it around while he was drunk and how he almost fucked up his life. Like if he got arrested, his whole life would be ruined uh, and there'd be no coming back and was essentially presenting a cautionary tale uh, to my cohort. And then he, from there, he moved on to the conversation of rape and consent. And he was essentially talking about consent to us from a very legal perspective in terms of like being very aggressive and and trying to scare us boys about how you know this is what rape is defined you know legally it's about penetration you know that doesn't just include like your penis it also includes your fingers or an object of penetration and if you're drunk at a party and then you do this to a girl not realizing that you're raping her like you'll get arrested and you'll fuck up your entire life like do you want that so it's essentially not coming from this really sensitive place like you should respect women but it's about you will fuck up your entire life if you accidentally without realizing rape a girl at a party can i just say how fucked up is that because oh my god so many issues from this consent consent talk but the first one is like the fact that it literally did nothing to humanize women because i think that is honestly at the key like that is a key point of consent i think like a huge part of how we need to educate misogynistic boys Um, about consent is to humanize your ideas of women because part of the issue with rape is that a lot of people a lot of men especially who rape women don't really see women as people but it is true that a lot of the time they don't even think they're raping you because they just think they're entitled to the situation and that you're the drunk one you're the one who like put yourself in this situation this is your fault um and i just think it's fucking wild that your school actually allowed that especially because mitch went to a co-ed school like i went to a girl's school Yeah, it wasn't just for us boys that this talk was for yeah like this is a talk that is happening to boys and girls and everybody in between that is essentially saying guys don't accidentally and also just the accidentally i think is very key as well because it implies that rape only happens accidentally which is not fucking true most most people raping women are also a little bit fucking malicious and misogynistic but this idea of don't do it because it'll ruin your reputation and your future not don't do it because you will severely traumatize this woman and ruin her life and hurt her and upset her and you will be actively hurting another human being which is fucked up and you shouldn't want to do that instead it was don't rape women because it will ruin your life if people find out about it and arrest you (laughs) which is just also in another way basically saying okay look if you're gonna do it guys like be careful and secretive about it so nobody finds out and your life doesn't get ruined which is fucking incredible that that was and i mean incredible in like the most wild way that that was like actually your consent talk yeah, i mean it's a memory i just repressed until like an hour ago <laughs> to be honest when we started talking about this 
And I just think that like, that's the problem because even now when they start to introduce consent talks, I'm like, what do we mean by consent talks? Because that is, I'm afraid what is going to happen, especially in all of these boys schools, it's not going to be, okay, now we're going to have a conversation where we humanize women and teach you that women are people too. It's going to be a, guys, like, we're starting to get problems with you guys ruining our reputation because you keep raping women. So you've got to stop doing it because you're making us look bad and you're making yourself yeah, look bad. Yeah, so they bad. get this scary man coming in to just <laughs> freak you out enough so you don't rape someone. Exactly. And I just think, like, it's such a problem. Even with the St. Kevin's thing, after um that whole issue uh, with the chanting and there was a Four Corners report um, probably around this time a year ago on the same issue and former students from St. Kevin's who were disgusted by the misogyny were just like, oh, yeah, like, the most we ever learned about consent was like a three minute YouTube video that we were shown. And then it was just never approached again. And this is after people like sent multiple complaints about the rapey nature of these schools. So it's just like, what does this accomplish? I'm like with the consent petition that's going out. Yes. hundred percent back at hundred percent think it's necessary, but I do like think there just needs to be more done in a lot of ways, not just with teaching boys consent, but with humanizing women, because that is a key issue here it's like not even just that they think that they don't understand consent. It's like they actually don't care if they're hurting you and they actually don't see you as people. And that is very easy to happen to a boys' school where they're not even like around girls. Although to be fair, I mean, rape is also a thing in co-ed schools. So I don't know how much of a difference that makes. But I do think it opens up a wider conversation on just rape culture and how much it stems not just from a lack of understanding of consent, that that is a huge part of it, but also on like an inherent misogyny that relies on the dehumanization of women. And to be honest, to bring it back to the Liberal Party, like that is how these parties come in power. With the Liberal Party and with the Parliament, it's no surprise that sexual assault is taking place in these areas when these parties have built themselves on misogyny in order to get the ruling class, you know, the white man in the position that he is. Like they will stomp on marginalized people in order to maintain their power. And yes, that will lead to things like rape. Coming out of the Brittany Higgins sexual assault allegations, uh, there are now all these conversations because four new reviews are going to take place in the parliament to better the workplace. They're going to focus on, you know, the process of reporting sexual harassment at work. They're going to focus on like how to ensure a safe workspace. But I don't give a fuck about these reviews because what do they mean? We get reviews and inquiries into everything. We've been doing inquiries every fucking year into black deaths in custody and that's not changed. Like it is something that we literally have to tear apart society to fix because I don't think it means anything to have a review it's just this bureaucratic nonsense to make it seem like they're actually doing something and they're not really helping anybody how does a review help women like Brittany Higgins she still got raped allegedly god I hate having to say that I just think it's one of those things where like you can do as many reviews as you want but you're still hiring misogynists like our prime minister is a misogynist. Our attorney general is a misogynist. I mean, Chris Porter has been accused of sexual harassment for decades and he's still the attorney general. It is so much deeper than just like a review on workplace culture. When society relies on having marginalized groups and violently keeping them marginalized in order to maintain the power of the ruling class, rape is still going to exist. Men are still going to be misogynists. White men especially are going to keep oppressing everybody else because that is how the power structures unfortunately work under capitalism. It's the divide and conquer technique of the marginalized class. It's like things are literally built on the oppression of women. How do we change that? How do we make a world safe for women when this world exists in its current state due to the oppression of women, that is reliant on the, on the oppression and dehumanization of women. It's really hard for us, for me, as like a woman to kind of self-actualize like that, 
into a feminist like you become a feminist and then you all you can see when you look around is your own dehumanization and your own oppression which is compounded when you're not just a woman but also like a person of color or a black woman or you know you're also perhaps uh gender diverse in some way as well like or maybe you're gay like it's just all the oppressions just compounding and then you're like fuck all i can see when i look around is my own oppression it's fucking hard and it's especially hard because the sensationalizing of the sexual assault allegations in the parliament and this idea of this rapist in the loose is distracting us. It's scapegoat. It's scapegoating. It's blaming one guy and his actions instead of actually looking at society and the way that like the way society is built has created these rapists. It has. It has allowed this is what rape culture is. Rape culture is how a society allows rape to happen through the various disgusting ways and narratives it's created about women. And this moral panic that's coming now out of these sexual assault allegations is dangerous because it's scapegoating and making us think that it's just like, just a few guys in parliament that do this and not fucking everybody. The truth is, sexual assault and rape is happening often in the home, in the workplace, right in front of our eyes all the time. And it's happening by people that we think are our friends, that we think are our co-workers. And we need to stop seeing these rapists as like these scary monsters under the closet and just seeing them as like literally everyday people that are taught that this is okay. We need to understand that this literally starts in places like St. Kevin's and like schools. And that's why consent talks, but not just consent talks are so fucking important. We literally need to actually like beat misogyny to the ground in order to humanize women because otherwise things like this are still going to keep happening. Well, Thank you for listening. I think now is a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you, our listeners. Specifically, we'd like to thank Everett, Pia, Beck, Naya, Rachel, Sarah, Liz, Belle, and Lucia. And I'm very sorry that I've been mispronouncing your name all this time. I feel like I definitely shouldn't be the one reading out these names. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't think it was wrong making the white boy like say all the names. But you know what? You got to learn somehow. Exactly. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. If signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around films, music, and books. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at podcast at gmail.com and please include your name, pronouns and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Bye. Bye.